Can you imagine two sweet-ass dudes like us in that car traveling through the desert across America? Wouldn't it look so fucking cool? We would go places and park the car where we know we look cool, hang out smoking cigarettes, leaning against the car looking cool, and let people look at us. We could get fucking trashed on drugs in the middle of nowhere and drive 150 miles an hour naked down the freeway and hang out the windows shooting shotguns at freeway signs and fucking historical landmarks and fucking jackrabbits. Dude, we could make some jackrabbit jerky and jackrabbit shoulder pads for our new leather jackets. Dude, you're Lord Humongous. Dude, you are fucking Lord Humongous. You are Lord fucking Humongous. The master of fire, the king of the wasteland. Hello and welcome to the Movie Club Podcast. This is episode number 26. The Movie Club Podcast is sort of a book club format where a bunch of different uh, bloggers, podcasters from various locations around the web get together and discuss a few movies. Be aware that the movies that we will be discussing today, uh, we will be spoiling them. So all three of the movies that we're talking about will be full-on spoilers. Make sure you've seen the films uh, before you listen to us talking about them. And those three movies that we'll be talking about today are, in order, uh, Another Earth, Bellflower, and Mr. Nobody. Um, And I think... The reason that we came to the conclusion of these three films is, is originally it was kind of supposed to be a film junk versus row three thing, um, you know, love versus the hate, and um, it kind of just evolved from there. Um, but let's just go around our digital table here and introduce each other. My name is Andrew James. I'm from row3.com. I'm Matthew Price, uh, one of the co-hosts of the Mammo podcast, and you can find me on Row 3 as well. I'm Kurt Halfyard, uh, also of Row 3. And I'm Jay uh, of FilmJunk.com and TheDocumentaryBlog.com. Very good. And uh, so the order that we've decided, like I said, was going to be to start with Another Earth. Um I can't remember. Was this suggested suggested by one of you guys in particular? I don't think I had anything to do with this one. Because originally, I should say, originally we were thinking about talking about the fountain, um, and Cloud Atlas was thrown around for a while, and we finally decided on another Earth. Was that anybody's suggestion here? Uh, it, well, I guess in part uh, it was me because. When when I when Cloud Atlas's DVD release got delayed, and you know people just don't have access to it, and God knows not very many people saw it theatrically, um, it, it kind of yeah refocused uh, the nature of this episode, and and now it almost is interesting to look at the sort of indie landscape of uh, of melding of um, sci-fi and drama. So I mean. Another Earth and and Bellflower and and Mister Nobody they they they're all released within a two year period and they all kind of go together in that way. Um, so with that sort of thematic connection aside, I guess that's how Another Earth uh, got in there. Okay, and then usually what we do here is just kind of go around and uh, for each film, 
starting with another Earth, is just our initial thoughts. Is this a first-time watch? Is this the tenth time you've watched? Uh, and then just initial impressions. So for me, starting out with another Earth, um, I don't know. I saw it theatrically a couple of years ago when it came out um, and loved the shit out of it. And uh, aside from one bit that we'll get into later, I think it's almost a perfect movie. I, I really, really love it. And watching it again today, this is the second time um, since the, theat- the theatrical one I saw, I think I love it even more. So do you want to set it up plot-wise, Andrew? Sure, I can do that. Um, the film starts off with a young girl. I don't have IMDb open in front of me, so I don't know directors or actors' names at all. But... Uh, it's a Melanie Laurent lookalike. Um, she is a young, very bright, uh, bright girl with a huge future ahead of her. She's been admitted to MIT. One night, she's partying, celebrating um, before she goes off to college. And on the way home, there's a radio broadcast explaining that um, another Earth, a, a planet just like Earth, uh, has come into view. So if you just look out the window or, you know, look up at the night sky, you can see it. And so she's driving home a little bit inebriated. She looks up at the sky and while she's looking at the, this other planet, um, she slams into a family sitting at a, at a four-way stop. And it's a, a father, a, a, a mother, and a young child, a young boy. And it also, we, we find later, we find out that the mother was also pregnant. So she kills everybody except the father. Um, four years pass. She goes to the father's, um, she's let out of prison. And then she goes over to the father, Ethan, from Lost, if that helps. Uh, she goes over to his house sort of to make amends. And she can't bring herself to tell him that she's the one that killed his whole family instead she pretends to be from a a cleaning company and their relationship blossoms (laughs) sorry this isn't very concise but meanwhile she's also writing this essay to try to get uh win a ticket to earth 2 as it's called um to possibly see her other self too i don't know if that made any sense but again Hopefully you've seen the film before. I, I can't believe I wasted all that time watching it. That was <laughs> <laughs> it was very concise. <laughs> so I loved it. Um, Matt, what are your initial thoughts? And well, so it's funny because well, so first of all, just in terms of what you just did to describe the plot, um, so I, I didn't really engage with it very much, um, and I think uh, you know these things are to some degree it's just subjective, but. Um, j- purely just on the level of the style of it, which I found to be kind of precious and sort of obvious. And, and then also I just, I really think this is one of those cases where the casting is so limited by the inability of the filmmakers to get the actors they wish they could get. And, uh, I, I, Personally, I think William Mapother, who is uh, in the business because he's Tom Cruise's first cousin, is uh, kind of not very interesting. And I don't care what happens to him. Um, it's hard to connect to a movie that's supposed to be about these two people when they're really, they're just not, it's not that they're necessarily like bad actors from a technical perspective, but they're not interesting. They have no, like they have no charisma. 
Okay. So so it's you know, and then and then also I just think it's a it's a kind of a it's about a twenty five minute idea for me. That'd be a really good like sort of mid length <clears throat> Vimeo. Okay, uh, interesting. Have you just seen it the one time? I just saw it the one time, just just a couple nights ago. Okay. Yeah. So so I think the idea is okay. Like it's sort of inter- an interesting notion, especially when it starts to play around with um, this idea that the two Earths have developed in total parallel until they encounter each other and realize there's another one, and and that idea of sort of um, getting a do over. I mean, I think there's stuff there um, in the script, and I think. There probably there's enough there to and and I think with actors that I connected with more there would have been um, uh, enough to stretch it out because if the scenes themselves played out well then I think you could make a feature out of it but I don't think with those actors you could. Okay, Kurt. Um, it's uh, it's I I saw this film first at the Fantasia Film Festival and it so I knew really very little about it walking in i i don't know if i knew anything about it other than the film's uh, quite pretty poster with brit marling and the huge earth on the cover uh and the probably 50 to 100 word film festival blurb um and i i was completely fine and and happy with the sort of sundancey for lack of a better phrase drama that was in i i, I kind of agree with matt in the sense that i William uh, Mapother, is it Mapother? Mapother. Um, it's funny you say he's interested. It related to Tom Cruise because I, I always think of him as kind of like the uh, the skeevy doppelganger to Nathan Fillion. But um, I, I wasn't really on board with his character. But I think I was really, really on board with her <coughs> character and looked at it as her story. So I, as as a following of her journey, I was completely on board with the film and it's that type of film it's kind of sleepy when you're watching it it's it's not really in any hurry to get anywhere and the sci-fi elements are totally relegated to the background they 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 only really come forth in one like sort of m night Shyamalan signs like scene where the scientist actually radio contacts herself on the radio um so i was fine with that Uh, i was like okay this ain't hard sci-fi uh this is this is just a metaphor in the background and, and I was fine with the movie, but the the ending I liked the snap ending, so um, that that's where the movie completely clicked for me. So it's one of those weird movies where you're kind of okay with it when you watch it, but when you get to the ending and you start thinking back about it, um, and you're thinking less about the characters and the acting and the cinematography and stuff, and you just start to mull on the consequences of the ending and 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 then what the movie is based on that so on those terms i i i quite like the movie and i i really enjoyed the heck of it what watching it a second time uh for this podcast uh me (laughs) i i this is my second time watching another earth uh and i i didn't see it in a festival setting or anything like that um and I, I don't know. I, I think it's just a, a poorly realized, absolutely mediocre drama that that hides behind a loosely established and totally underused high concept that completely dominates the story. And it's one of those cases where I wish they ditched all of the. Um, 
the the drama and just focused on pure, purely on the second earth concept and i can i can sort of i can sort of see that point of view because i too would like to see like a, an entire movie based around another earth and all the possibilities that are there but i don't know i i think that the drama in this to me it feels very I, I don't know. It, it, it's got some holes in it, I guess, plot-wise. Like, you can pull it apart. But I think it's very believable, and it's very... I'm able to really sympathize with both characters. And I I don't know, the, I, the idea of maybe a second chance or to see the ones you love uh, is a possibility out there. Um, I think that's a really creative concept. I don't see the sort of stifled look at the movie like very basic and sundancey like you guys say I, I feel like it was really creative and well thought out like here's a here's a concept let's make characters real life earth characters that people can latch on to and um, maybe empathize with maybe sympathize with along with the concept I mean it was clear the director or the storyteller did not set out to make a hard sci-fi film they set out to make a character study with a creative twist to put it together and maybe add a little context add a little suspense drama even a little mystery to it andrew i think you you hit it exactly on the head so exactly what you're saying i think if the film has characters that you can identify with where you kind of imprint on them and what's happening to them is you know, is of sort of a high importance to you, then it is a, a really good movie. And when, and when it's, when they don't, then you're left going, uh, this could be, you know, they're uh, like, I, I just did in that just subjective way. I just did not connect to either of them particularly. And I, and, and I think also that idea of sort of getting a second chance, um, is, uh, like, it's a nice, um, idea, but it's so uh, it's so false to the actual experience of of tragically of tragic loss. It's almost like a kind of uh, you know religious uh, afterlife kind of idea. Like like uh, not to pull a bunch of other movies into this, but like the ending of the Woman in Black made me so angry that like <laughs> so like I just don't I don't think I think. Um, uh, there's a kind of a fantasy wish fulfillment element to that that's that's less appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, okay, I, part of it is like I, for me, immediately I'm just yeah. If if you're not into if you don't latch on with the characters right away and just sort of sympathize with them, I can see you just slowly fading and fading and liking the movie less and less as it goes along. But I mean, from moment one where she smashes into them and then gets out of the car and looks at all the carnage that she's created. Um, and then we just flash forward to four years later, like instantly I'm compelled. I saw the devastation. I personally also think she's a really great actress. Um, but I, I, you know, you could feel that heartbreak in, in, you know, seeing her life shattered literally in a second. Um, and then I'm interested to find out how she's going to pull together Right as, right as she gets out of prison and then it just goes deeper and deeper and I 
I don't know. I never saw anything um, coming at me. I always found every bit of interaction new and surprising and interesting and very heartfelt. Well, well I, I do think it's safe to say that once the two characters form their sort of arrangement with the cleaning, that it's pretty... It would it would be a very weird movie if they never got to the point of her confessing, if they just never did that. Like, I think that was the one obvious thing that... And, and I think a lot of people that complain about this movie feels overlong, which which it really isn't. I think it's just 90 minutes. Uh, but the, the, the is that people just want it to get there and move on. And the movie does want to linger in the no man's land of the two of them sort of, you know, climbing out of their collective shells. And and I do like, I mean, it may be cliche in one sense or or, or overly precious or, or, or whatever. But the, the I love the scene where he where, where he does open up to her uh, with with the saw and the and the saw itself is very it's almost like a haunting little melody. It almost sounds like a human voice um with this piece of metal i i i i think that there's lots of little moments peppered along their their journey that um that may forgive just sort of the grungy space with which it occupies that actually that saw scene sums up a lot of the movie for me um where you know you can you can take someone that is great at some unusual art form throw it on screen and distract people and have them get caught up in that art form and marvel at the sound coming out of that saw and have them completely forget about how terrible everything else is in the film. <laughs> I mean, it just like, well, have it, how many shots it- do we have to have of her walking down the street with the second earth looming in the background to remind us that we're watching something uh, with this high concept uh, kind of uh, supposedly holding it up. It, it's just... It seems to me to be a lot of sleight of hand uh, to to sh- to kind of cover up for uh, a story that's not very interesting and a lot of performances that aren't very interesting and people who aren't very interesting. You just get enough enough interest from news broadcasts, radio broadcasts, saw players, and stuff like that to distract you just enough to. Uh, it's like the T.J. Mackey line, the, the whole, you know, I, I will teach you how to convince women that you are charming and or whatever, like trick women into thinking you were a smart and caring man. This movie tricks you into thinking it's a smart and caring movie by putting all of this, these little uh, references to science fiction and, and uh, uh, these little ideas and concepts that seem unique but are not explored at all. I mean, at least not in my opinion. Well, I, I think maybe there's a, there's a confusion of um, like throwing a bunch of things together and not being too specific in the attempt to allow maybe a wider audience to be able to generalize with the movie and, and not, you know, be, be and, and there's certainly flaws to that approach. I wish I could personally draw the line between something um, like the, the sixth sense, which, in, 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 it just kind of makes me angry, and I, I feel that huge chunks of that film are the slate of hand that you just described, and why other films, when they do this sort of, yeah, they, they graft on elements into a, a standard story, why I find that pleasurable. I, I, and, and I guess I'm, 
um, failing as a uh, as someone who thinks critically about movies if I cannot actually pinpoint or explain why uh, I'm on this side of the line for this movie and uh, that side of the line for that it movie. It tricked you. It, it, it tricked me, and I was happy to be tricked. I, I mean, suspension of disbelief and often going to the movies are an act of slate of hand, and, and uh, um, <laughs> this I, one I, happened to work on. A lot of it, I think a lot of it, too, is, is this is one of those movies where, at least for me, it's kind of what would I do in this situation. And what makes this one even better is you've got two characters um, dealing with so many different things, like the what would I do or... Um, you know, thinking about the situation, all the what ifs that come into my head while I'm watching this. Um, I can tell you I, what I would not do is <laughs> clean someone's house and play Wii Boxing. If there was a second Earth approaching our Earth and a mirror universe to our universe, I would not spend my time trying to reconcile something that happened four years ago by slowly cleaning somebody's house and befriending them. It probably wouldn't even be on my mind because this extraordinary event is taking place. I don't and know. That completely trumps but, everything. But, but that extraordinary event is stretched out over many years, right? Like the, the timeline of the movie. And also, wait, wait, wait. But, it, but in other better movies, you believe it. Like in Last Night... You yes. believe that people mundanely go about their lives in the face of something really large because the characters and performances engage you enough to make you believe it. Exactly. It's, it's so, not, I mean, it's I'm not, not saying it's that. Not the how, it's not the what. <laughs> it's the how. Right. I don't yeah. know. And I, I find that completely believable that, like, like Kurt said, this is something that's been going on for four years. If you just killed an entire family accidentally... I mean, you got to try to put yourself in her shoes. You might go and try to just make this guy's life a little bit better. Do anything you can. Granted, it might be for her to feel better, but I also think she really feels like she needs to make amends somehow. And this is the only way it just happens to present itself this way. Okay, well... She didn't go in planning, okay, I'm going to clean this guy's house for um, six months. That was not her plan. That's just her weakness, and that's what came out. You know, I, I don't know. I, f- I find that totally believable. I, I will give you that they saw the planet four years earlier, but the the discovery of the planet being a mirror to our planet is discovered during the period in which she's cleaning this guy's house. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that is probably the bigger. Well, but they do engage. They do talk about it over the course of the movie. Like they don't spend all yeah, their time talking about it, but they they actually actively they don't ignore it completely. Yeah, and no. they show they show people like sorry people out on the street, you know, holding up crazy. The the end is near and tin hats and shit like that. I mean, it's it's addressed. Yeah, that in the most obvious lazy way, a guy wearing a placard with a tin foil hat. Well, they also That's there's a bunch of discussions too, right? Like it isn't just that it, one yes, thing. Yes, there are a it's, couple of because it's DJs, not important moments. Sorry, exactly. Which is the main problem with this movie is that you've got this amazing story happening in the background, and it's like they keep turning your head away, saying, "Nope, watch our little lame middle of the road melodrama." Avert your eyes from the amazing event that's happening in the background and, and focus on these two actors that are not engaging or, or interesting in any way. 
if 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 I may move forward to uh, to a, a lovely way that all th- three of these films are are connected is the sort of a narcissistic um, self involvement with the cosmic. I mean, you could dump a lot of other movies in there too, Melancholia and other things. There's, there, I don't know why there was a, a rash of these movies in that short period of time, but all three of these movies have that. Um, reflection of the personal within the cosmic. I mean, even Tree of Life has that too. And um, I don't know whether this is a relatively high concentration in in one particular spot, or or whether this has existed in cinema all the way across. Because um, I don't. When I think of something like the original Solaris, I don't quite see it the same way that I would see this particular strand of movies. But and, and it might explain why why. Um, uh, why you take such a dislike? That particular flavor may stick in your craw, as they say. Come on, Kurt. Kurt, come on. Connect it to Voyage to the Moon. Come on. <laughs> if I can go all the way back. <laughs> can I just nitpick a little bit here? Of I, I, I'm, I'm amazed that no one's brought up Kumar. So uh, go oh, I'm away. about to. Away. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's one of the most uh, distressing, distressing parts of this film. Is Kumar as her little Indian spirit animal, that this beautiful blonde white girl who claims that she doesn't want to be around people or do too much talking, yet takes a job as a high school janitor, which makes zero sense to me, um, befriends Kumar, and for for some reason he's pouring bleach into his eyes and his ears, and he's the guy that spouts off a little piece of pieces of advice as she curls up to him in bed and what is he like what do we know about him other than he's indian he's in wes anderson's films and he's a a spirit animal i mean he's completely useless in this movie and it's totally like you're you can't tell me that they're casting him for his acting abilities not that he needs any because his character is so thinly written um and that to me is like the the most annoying thing. And then with her character, she's supposed to be this person who's interested in astronomy and the cosmos and the universe. And she's applied to MIT and and she's out on this drive. And this is the first time that she hears about a, a planet approaching Earth. Well, I mean, in all fairness, you know, the radio broadcaster says this is the first time it's visible. She may have been very much aware. This is the first time you can see it with the eye. You know, correct. Who knows? That party may have been around that it was going to be visible that night. I mean, so that night, the planet. That's a that I can buy your other nitpicks. I can totally. If it were up to me, Kumar's out of the film. Sorry, Kumar, you're out of the film. But um, that one, I don't. That one, I find it a little harder to, to like. That's a true nitpick in that once you're out of the movie, a lot of little things that may or may not be there start to come out. Well, I just, it's a very lazy way to get her to avert her eyes from the road, I think. And well, but it's also critical. That's the, that's also her judgment point, right? That's, that's, that's the divergent point of the film. There's this consistent rush to the, to the thematic where it makes no sense for the people. Yes. Yes. Like there's just, you know what, Kurt, there's just too much tabula and not enough rasa. <laughs> like, like, like they're just trying to get you to project onto these ideas, but they just, they haven't done any work on the actual nutsy boltsy like here are the people that we want you to project onto well wait till we get to mr nobody <laughs> um <laughs> but i i actually but you, where you guys see that as a criticism of a film i can see that as a boon i i, I mean sometimes 
using drama and and you know a collection of ideas assembled in a dramatic play story whatever is is a good way to bring up these questions and 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 bring people that are again are not the hard sci-fi or 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 whatever sort of junkies into it in in a more casual way like it's almost like a like a gateway kind of movie as opposed to the the endpoint kind of thing yeah, it's just that you know what when you say that, like one of the things that I think is really wrong with this is that you it 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 constantly points up other better movies. Like when you talk about that idea of sort of like um, a science fiction movie for people that aren't big science fiction nerds, um, I, I think a movie like Moon is a good, better example of that than this. Like, there's just better examples of that. I I also don't buy her as. Just in general, someone who's interested in astronomy. I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to assume that because she connects this incident with Earth 2 that she completely loses her interest in astronomy or something, but she gets... I don't know. She sells that the cosmonaut story. That that I think that scene really plays. Like, that, with scene her... that, scene really? is, that scene plays like her audition tape. She is so... <laughs> over- That's her Anne Hathaway moment? Is that what you're saying? She just over emotes. She's over the top, and you. She reads like she knows this is her scene in the film, and it plays like an audition tape to me. And I mean, that's something that's subjective, but I don't buy that for a second. And to me, that's that's the scene where she finally kind of comes out of her shell because she's talking about something. She forgets everything else for a second and talks about this one thing that she's really passionate about and really excited about. And also, I mean confronts the it's the theme of the movie all in one little speech i mean it's 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 her confronting herself and 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 of course the final scene of the movie is her literally confronting herself i mean that's the that's why i don't have a problem with me not sympathizing or or necessarily caring about the um uh the the music professor because i mean this is her journey to figure her own to to actually deal with what she did um and 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 she did, she's avoiding it throughout the entire movie. Everything that she does is an avoidance until she literally meets herself at the end. Mm-hmm. And remember, she's a completely different person than she was in the first two minutes of the movie. Instantly, well, what, she clearly needs like psychological help, and um, you know she's just a different person. So yeah, like maybe her interest in astronomy has kind of waned to some extent. I, I don't understand how you can tell that she's a different person. We we don't even know her. It's not from the performance. <laughs> oh, see, I di- okay, I disagree. I think the performance is great, but because you just infer, they talk about how how smart she is and how bright she is, and she's going to MIT. I think she there's a there's a narration, I believe, in the beginning, um, and she's in a group of friends, and she's very outgoing and happy and interested in things. And then when the girl that we know through most of the movie is very standoffish, very quiet, looking in the corner, trying to not be noticed, trying to stay away from... It just, to me, maybe this is just me looking into it, but yeah, to me, I I instantly can tell that she's just a shell of the person that she used to be. And and maybe you're right, Jay. I mean, it's fair criticism that maybe that's just me seeing something that isn't there, but... I mean, it's assumed that she is. I just... All I mean is we never I'm just saying we never really got to know her before the incident, mm-hmm. which I would have liked to have gotten to know her so that we got a better idea of what's been thrown away or what's been changed about I, her. 
I think that moment where she's talking about the cosmonaut, that's her kind of snapping out of it. And you see, this is how she was. When she's smiling, she's bright-eyed. In those two minutes, she's a completely different person than the rest of the movie. And I think that's her interest in her old interests coming to light. Well, she does. That, she does have a poster in her room of space, mm-hmm. so clearly she's a fan. And it just—they use it too as a as a uh, Rita Hayworth, if you will. She's looking at it as escapism. I think it's just her way of laying in bed and escaping. I don't know. I well, the the uh, other thing might be the like the the perhaps not showing or deciding not to have a lengthy prologue where she's this happy peppy full of potential uh thing is sort of the um the the louis ck thing of you're just not interesting (laughs) in your early 20s when you've done nothing and then once you have a um now it may be emotional pornography or whatever but uh you know she's more interesting now that she has an actual um you know, very true challenge or whatever, right, right in front of her with, with which, what she did in a, in a moment of weakness or whatever. Um, but That's I, probably where we differ. Cause I, I don't find her interesting after that. I, I mean, I, I find her, she's just, uh, she's still, uh, it's hard to read her. It's hard to understand. I mean, I, I understand that we're supposed to believe her passion is in, astronomy and I, I guess that that speech is supposed to show that the opening but, speech well that as well um but beyond that like I, I just really have trouble accepting her being an outcast like she refers to herself as an, an ex-con an outcast uh <laughs> working at this high school as a janitor wearing like schlubby jacket and pants and a toque and surrounding herself with Indian men, older Indian men and, and, you know, trying to avoid, uh, avoid people, but putting her in this situation where she's surrounded by teenagers, which makes no sense to me. And watching her walk around town aimlessly and with that, that horribly overdone score behind her, it just, it's such a, an attempt to project something onto somebody who is not selling it at all to me. Like she just looks like a pretty white girl to me that has really no, there's nothing to her in my opinion. I I don't get anything from her. I especially don't get anything from her relationship with the guy from lost. Are are you saying that all pretty white girls have nothing to them? No, I'm saying this one has nothing to her because she's poorly written. Okay, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's no way to respond. I feel like it's just it either rubs you the right way or re- rubs you the wrong way for one reason or another. And I, every time you say the characters aren't interesting, their their relationship isn't interesting. I I don't know where I that baffles me because I'm completely invested and interested in them. But while we're nitpicking something, let me let me say the part of the movie that I really can't stand and I think is terrible screenwriting and way too obvious is when they actually come together and have sex that pisses me off because that felt like really just what can we do to make the the final reveal when she finally tells him how can we make that even more devastating oh i know we'll have them like start to fall in love and have sex 
and that fucking grates on me to no end because you don't need that. It's it's already going to be horrible and terrible when she finally does tell him or when he finally figures it out. It's you know it's going to blow up. Why do we need this sex scene? And not only is the sex scene there, but right after it, when their 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 version of pillow talk is him telling her all about how the, some kid killed his family. It's just it just feels really lazy, shitty screenwriting right there. I I hate that part of the movie. You know why it needs a sex scene is because it is a movie of the week. It's a soap opera. It needs a sex scene. That's what these things do. They have sex scenes. They have people that. Yeah, I... Wow! If 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 you're equating this to like a soapy melodrama, I, I mean it it hides it really well. Then I, I I can buy that. You know, it's a very self-contained story with a very big backdrop. But I I don't believe it. It has the you know cue the the big three organ chords for the big reveals. You know, it's not like they do things arbitrarily. You know structurally way more than the characters do so it's not like it's just out to constantly you know give you the pleasure pill of something new and melodramatic happening you're you're fully aware of the 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 box of those characters and you you're just watching sort of the specifics of a play out that's the opposite of what i would consider a soap opera movie of the week to me i don't think it's a soap opera but andrew you know i don't i also don't think it's in the context of that, it's a huge mistake. Like I think, I think um, it's clunky, and uh, but you can sort of see the screenwriter saying, like, well, she needs to do anything to make him feel good, and he needs to have some sort of permission to open up to her. So this will give us both things. Like I think there's this, like there's this sense that this this is, is going to do a lot of heavy lifting for us, you know, and yeah, and. Uh, and but the whole script feels like that to me so it's you know the whole thing is like how are we going to get to the part where they you know she sends him to the other earth and then she meets herself yeah i don't really have a problem with that in movies though i don't have a problem with the fact that um you know someone has you know mapped things out and and uh i mean i no in in when the execution's better i don't have a problem with it i just right, I you, yeah you know, it's it's in this case. It, um, I'm not. It's it's a <laughs> funny, device. Like, that's that's the one not... thing that stood out for you because I actually think like in, it's serviceable in the sense of like accomplishing the idea, right? I I think it's a device that's unnecessary and not earned at all. Like I I, I don't buy them as a relationship. I buy them as a friendship growing, and he takes her and plays music, and she thinks about. Like going into space and being an astronaut and all that stuff, um, and I can see them like having some sort of bond there. But then immediately going home and ripping each other's clothes off is just—I don't. The only word I can think of is lame. I can't stand it. Now, um, this film is uh, um, not the director or the the star who collaborated uh, on making it. It's not their first film. Their first film was a documentary called um, "Boxers and Ballerinas." Uh, IMDb. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's eighty-four. So it's a it's a feature first film. Has anyone seen? It's like two uh, Cubans and two Cuban Americans, um, all in a sort of documentary format. No, nope. no one, no one's seen this. Nope. But, nope. but I guess what what got me looking was that this does feel like a first film, and I, I guess I'm a bit more 
forgiving. I mean, it's a first film. Yeah, but Bellflower's a first film, so... <laughs> that that's, uh, sounds like a good a point as any to segue on into number two. Unless Thank anyone you. else has anyone to say about um, Another Earth. It's well, terrible. Me, me, do, have we <laughs> talked about the ending enough or at all? Did we mention? Not really. Um, I think that's the... That's, I mean, Kurt said when he saw the ending, that was a pivotal moment that kind of just locked it up and said, this is, this is a good film. And I, I agree. I was liking the movie the whole way through. That final shot, I think, is is kind of what blew me away and I was not expecting at all. I thought it, I thought that was great. And again, it's one of those all these possibilities that pop into my head um just sort of come to life all of a sudden. I I don't know. What did you guys that you hate the movie? What did you think of the ending? Did it bring it up at all or did you hate it even more? I I don't know. I I don't really have any you have to do a little bit of work to get anything out of the ending, and I'm completely unwilling to do any work for this film. It seems like the movie that you would want, Jay, is for them to, okay, now the two people are together, have a conversation. What are these two going to talk about? Where me, I like the, she takes a step forward, fade to black. Um, I The movie I would want is something more along the lines of contact, or I, I would even... I would even be fine with um, uh, the woman who directed Deep Impact, <laughs> like a Deep Impact style oh, movie. Oh, a Mimi Heater reference. Excellent. Yes, Mimi Heater. <laughs> I mean, there's always this sort of, I mean, there seems to be this idea that um, a, a drama will always be better than a, a genre film. Like the, the, the worst drama is still more... Uh, holds more powers and more important than a great genre film. And to me, a terrible drama is like one of my, the worst things ever in film. Like this is the reason I love documentaries because I find that documentary does drama better than fiction because a lot of time fiction just feels like dramatization. And this film feels like dramatization and, I don't buy it for a second, so I almost wish that they would push past the drama to the point where it's just entertainment. And because I don't buy the drama in this film, it drives me more towards the things happening in the background and frustrates me more when I don't get enough of it and I have to sit through the stuff in the foreground. So the the ending really didn't do much for me other than, say, all of that stuff that you were enjoying in the background here's more of it or here's like the the tip of the iceberg of all of that stuff but we're still not going to give you anything from it. it we're just in in terms of the character i could care less it's care uh, less. it's it's um i guess about as interesting as a as a uh, freedom 55 ad i don't know if you have those uh, andrew mm-hmm. um, so she so like i'm assuming that when she meets herself, this, the the idea is, oh, the one that didn't run anyone over went to school and legitimately was the first person that got to go to Earth One, and right. then she can go meet herself. So it's she goes, it's almost like, hello, I'm you, the successful version of you that's not damaged, right? Mm-hmm. But neither version is that interesting. So, <laughs> well, I, I think that's the the the. Um... 
I think that's the easy explanation. The the harder expl the, the the harder explanation would be um, that uh, things that both looked up, both crashed the families, and one actually didn't give the other the the dude the chance to go over there, and she's literally confronting um, the, fir- the the so the wait, version of herself that still killed all those people, and that version, but, but wanted to just get away over there, only to find his other dead family. That is dark. <laughs> well, no, she meets her at her own house, right? <laughs> no, but he's saying in your world, um, the girl still killed the whole family. That she just didn't so um, she makes that huge sacrifice she sends him to the other planet and he gets there and then they're the dead yeah, yeah yeah absolutely oh, this is some oh dude <laughs> no because again you you're focusing on the wrong character that <laughs> that's that's collateral damage if you will but the more interesting thing is her literally confronting herself um and i don't and i don't think that necessarily that the person that she literally confronts at the end is the good MIT educated version. I I think they're they're suggesting it is because she's dressed well. Well that's yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Okay. They're they're suggesting that that it is because they are implying that it's a kind of happy ending, like the way he gets on the you know waves to you on the T V and stuff. It's like this is all gonna be okay, everybody. I'm you know I, just, I, I don't see, understand I don't that ending. Because I, I don't get that at all when I what, watch the movie. <laughs> what happens when he goes to the other planet? Is it like My Two Dads where suddenly there will be <laughs> two of them and they have to share the same family? It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. He's Why not it matter? an important character. <laughs> Kurt, 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 his entire is, arc is to slow so his sadness and character. make it better. It does matter, Kurt. It doesn't matter to you, Kurt. Because but, fair enough. Fair enough. Because I look at the movie as her journey. Yeah, but her journey is to make him better. It matters. That's, that's her plan. Um, but <laughs> so the, then her whole thing is pointless? Like, Well, it could be. I mean, the, you can't run away and just <laughs> fix everything by doing something. He still killed all of her family. That doesn't make it go away. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's by a relevant her. read of the movie. I mean, the movie is her working up the courage to confront yourself, and you could argue that even her giving up her ticket is another one of her dodges. I'm going to feel like the, the I'm, I'm going to not engage. I'm going to, I'm going to be the person that stays behind, you know, um, and, and now she literally confronts herself, the selfish version of herself, if you will. You you are overlaying a, an almost Nietzsche level of. Uh, I know. And if, if Gamble was here, he'd say, "But it's all in her mind," which is right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, it's but, in a snow globe on Saint Elsewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but I, I think that's a. I think in films like this, it, it allows for that possibility, and I, that's why I tend to like these films. I, I also have this whole thing with uh, the Adjustment Bureau in that it's a like a, a deep dark. Philip K. Dick disturbing ending and not the happy ending that the film kind of implies with its exit music. Um, like you can read dark things into these. What what seems on the surface to be pleasant is actually just a dodge. And uh, and I and I like that. That's that's my another. You know, Earth. This is my this is my first one of these. But let let me just ask. Kurt, what did your parents do to you? Yeah. <laughs> they were they were they were so nice and my childhood was so uneventful and pleasant that I, I now take pleasure in 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 
playing out horrible scenarios and I can watch horrible movies because uh, if these some of these things really happened to me and I had you know real shit that went down, then I wouldn't want to watch these movies. There's your Psych 101 read. <laughs> Andrew, you, you really liked it. Do, who do you think is... Uh, what's the read that you agree with more here? Well, I, Kurt's look at it is interesting, but I do think... Um, I do think the film, what it implies is what it is. So the girl that shows up from Earth 2 is the MIT educated. She never did smash into the car. She didn't kill the people. I think it is sort of a a bright and rosy um, version of the story. Uh, That said, if if it's the way Kurt said, I mean, then at least the guy goes to Earth 2 I just keep calling him Ethan. I can't remember his name. He goes to Earth 2, and at least his other self is there, and they can um, sort (laughs) of... Commiserate? Yeah, you know, they can comfort each other, or he can explain to her, look, the girl who killed, uh, you know, maybe he'll work it out psychologically with himself. This is all ifs, ands, or buts, but this is what I'm saying is kind of interesting about the ending, is there's lots of different possibilities. You can kind of make it up whatever you want. The two Ethans will then team up, get all geared out combat equipment or whatever, and then come back and take revenge on the two other girls. All right, Kurt, we'll let you have your segue this time. <laughs> I, um, I would enjoy that. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> John Carpenter can direct and uh, uh, everything will work out just okay. I, and I just, before we move on, I, I just want to mention a couple of my favorite moments in another favorite, earth. Favorite, not meaning favorite. Right. Um, <laughs> First being when the girl is in her bedroom, sitting on her bed, staring at the dust particles in the light while backwards music plays. It's that that moment. It's an, you know enough said about that moment. It's just wonderful. And the writing of "Forgive" on Kumar's hand as the tear falls down his cheek and she curls up beside him. Just a beautiful moment. You have no heart, Jay. You have no heart. I, I can't even like. Do you guys like that moment? No. Well, I, I, as I said, it, I would be, I would be more than happy, satisfied if they just cut the Kumar character. If she just worked at the high school, like that was it. Like I I, I do believe that the whole everything to do with Kumar is a unnecessary misstep by the film. It doesn't add to anything. It doesn't elaborate on anything. It's just. Like you said, it's just treacly. It's just there. Yeah, and and, it's a uh, and at worst, it's wankery. the magical black man kind of offensiveness to it as well. But Yeah, I agree. Uh, but let me ask you this, just out of curiosity. Is forgive, that's what she writes on his hand? I thought that's what it was. Maybe well, I misunderstood it. She writes F O R and then it cuts away. So yeah, I thought maybe it was You can get a dictionary and look at all the words. There's a G. No, there's a G. She either so writes forgive forget. or forget. Yeah, or forgot or something. I, I forget it's even better. Or forego. <laughs> we can play this game. Yeah. It's it's forge. <laughs> forge. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> She's telling him to no. All right. Well, let's move on to Bellflower. Then this was uh, this was okay. Well, we'll just start going around. Uh, I had never seen the movie before. I just. Pulled it up on the Netflix this afternoon to check it out. The only thing I really know about it or knew about it beforehand was the the trailer. Doesn't the trailer have a lot of um, 
all those slow motion shots of the car and a lot of flamethrower stuff. Um, it just makes it look fucking awesome. You know, that kind of movie. This is going to be fucking cool. Um, that's what I knew about it going in, except for I did listen to the Film Junk guys, whatever, whenever that podcast was, maybe about eight months ago or whatever, you guys ripped it to shreds. Um, I did listen to that. So I guess that's what I knew going in. I would say this movie is a giant shit sandwich. I fucking hate this movie. I don't hate it. It's not worth being hated. It's just dumb. I Despicable characters doing stupid things, trying their hardest to become alcoholics, and it, there's nothing to them. You guys talk about nothing to the characters in another Earth. Here's characters that are just... Literally just stupid. I, I, I hate everybody in this movie. Never would want to communicate with them. I would never want to hang out with them. Other than to watch them blow some shit up once in a while. But other than that, like every piece of communication between anybody in this movie is absolutely grating and horror horrific. That's my two cents. I cannot believe that I'm going to have to defend this to all three of you. Well, no, not to all three. I, I, I'm, I'm the anti-J in here in that I'm in the love camp on all three. So Okay, um, well, okay so, uh, I, I, I mean, all right. I couldn't, again, in the most objective way, I could not feel more completely opposite to you in my uh, encounter with this film and the kind of intense uh, connection that I felt to it. I absolutely loved that girl, was in love with her almost instantly. Uh, Millie. Well, why don't you set the uh, film up then, Matt? So it's uh, it's two guys that um, have a kind of unhealthy obsession with Mad Max, and uh, specifically with Lord Humongous from... Uh, from um, uh, sorry, my mind... Road is, Warrior. Uh, from Road Warrior, thank you. Uh, and, and try to build and recreate a whole bunch of the stuff from that movie. Uh, because in a facetious way, they think, well, you know, if the end of the world comes, we'll be in charge. Um, and uh, then one of them falls in love, and it kind of breaks the friendship and then breaks him. And uh, I, at the time, uh, the important thing to remember is that there was no Instagram yet, so I had not seen a lot of photography like that either, which I also really found very engaging. And then, subsequent to seeing the movie, um, just learning about that team that put the film together, uh, the I like the movie an immense amount, and I and it is one of those things, um, like another film that we were gonna that that I think was getting bandied about as possibly for this show, which was Naked Lunch. It's one of those things where um, I really strongly connected to the, like the world of it, and felt really drawn in by. Uh, the characters and and there's a moment sort of late in the film when he really goes fucking crazy that is like I really liked it um, uh, but then afterwards finding out that they not only built all the cars and the flamethrowers and all the shit that's in the movie but then they actually built a camera to get the effect they wanted to get and kind of just that sort of like weird wonky engineering side of that film I think really appeals to me as well um, and I really like the performances. Like, I just, I really think they're good. Well, for me, this was the film I missed at every 
film festival. Um, so uh, I had like three kicks at it, and I missed it every time. So I, I ended up seeing it in regular release, in the very limited regular release that it got. And so I came into it. There was a lot... There wasn't a ton of vitriol leveled at the film. The film had a lot of, like, darling wrapped around it. It it it, it was in that phase where it had, it had turned a lot of heads. So I had a lot of hype. Um, I know I was at uh, Action Fest with uh, with Matt. Uh, I had to leave a day early. So and I remember talking about you guys afterwards, and because you really both of you guys really loved that film at the end of the film festival. I'm like, dang, I missed that one. Um, and then when I came to it. Um, it wasn't a film that I loved immediately on first choice. Like I, I have a love hate thing with the photography in that movie. Um, I, I find it incredibly interesting. I, I do like that sort of tilt focus kind of weirdness and super high contrast yellow, but it, I found it quite inconsistent. Like it was just inconsistent when I watched it. Um, and then watching it again, uh, for this podcast, um, I didn't really, none of the inconsistencies bothered me. And I think a lot more of the elements of the film completely came uh, together for me. And uh, I mean, my first read was it was just, well, these are boys that love toys and they're incapable of having a mature relationship other than with themselves. And they're just better off, like at the end of the film, with themselves off in their own little desert. Um, But I I just felt I got a lot more... um, out of the film, both structurally, I, I never quite got the sort of fantasy or brain damage sequence and how it all aligned the first time, and I th- I was just a little bit just held back. And then this time, I, I really got the idea that it's uh, it's his his post apocalyptic fantasy is not really all that it's cracked up to be, and he does actually level himself back down, and I and I kind of like that, and I I don't think it's as douchey as the film can come off to some people. So uh, as it stands right now, I, I quite love uh, Bellflower as well. Um, <clears throat> the only things I like about Bellflower are the moments where they're blowing things up or uh, making flamethrowers or souping up their car. But if I want to watch two guys with weird facial hair construct items of destruction for fun, I'd rather just watch Mythbusters. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. Or Death Race. Scene. <laughs> okay, let me start here then, Matt Price. You instant. let me just make sure we, we, we're on the same page here. You instantly fell in love with the girl whose character introduction is she stands up in a bar and says, yeah, what's up, motherfucker? I'll take it on, and goes up and just relishes eating handfuls of crickets. That's This is the girl you fell in love with instantly. Yep. Absolutely. I thought she was really good and very charming and great. Yes. I really liked her. See, it's funny for me. I think the actress is good, but I find her don't, as a human being is a bit of a projection. I, I, I find the girls get really short shrift in this movie. Um, it is a movie I about totally the boy. I buy that he falls in love and then like totally obsesses over her. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I don't, I don't buy that for a second. But I also believe that that character is a, you know, is also a fantasy of the directors as well. You know what I mean? Sure. And and I'm in a way, it's to his credit that he 
has it melt down and, and says, you know what, eh, maybe that wasn't going to work. You know, I mean, um, I find his initial way of reacting and then, the, you know, the film kind of like Another Earth and like Mr. Nobody postulates a couple different options and, uh, and lets them play out. And I, I kind of dug the way they did that. The only way I can describe my inability to um, connect with the characters and, and how the characters alienate me, I, I think is is to say if it would be like someone telling me to sit down and watch Hannah Montana and attempt to connect with those characters. It, it's like it felt like I was watching children that I have no interest in watching and watching them talk like children and act like children and not even real children they they just are so uninteresting and i i the girl is the complete opposite for me i find her vile and wretched agreed i find all of the characters vile and wretched like at any point in the movie are they not downing bottles of whiskey or just pounding beers. The guy's well, got a whiskey tap in his car. Instantly, you're a fuck. I hate you. I, I don't think it's. Really? I don't think I, it's. I, I enjoyed that immensely. <laughs> I don't think it's unreasonable to say that there are plenty of people that get to be children well into their twenties and thirties nowadays. It's. The, I, I don't think that that's. Um, I understand that you know your hesitation to necessarily spend time with them, but I again I look at this movie as a as an interesting. An, a, a different take on the whole man-child thing. Like, I mean, this them building flamethrowers and shooting shotguns at propane tanks. Um, you know, that's that's who they are. And then you get later on when you know real shit happens to them with 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 the girls, both girls actually, because the other girl ends up gravitating to him, and the other guy is kind of was kind of wooing her, and the whole the whole thing. And then they've got these aggressive toys lying around so you know they've got to use them and i, I kind of like the way the movie sort of straps that on and 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 runs with it but does it um, just takes forever to get to that point like for 90 minutes well it's not 90 minutes but it felt like 90 over, minutes it's, over 90. It's, it's, it's it's an hour 40 and, okay so yeah nine yeah but up until the point where they actually use all the stuff that they've built it's just What's interesting? Nothing. They drive to Texas, and they—it's a—it's a relationship blossoming, just like any other relationship might blossom. They have fights. Somebody's fucking somebody else. It's like when you talk about soap opera. This is like soap no. opera with with a bunch of fuck, fuck, shit, fuck thrown in. But you contrast that to the relationship that they have. Like, I, I mean, the, the, actually, I find the Aiden character to be really fascinating because he's kind of an asshole. But he, he is, you know, like their little relationship, he's, he's kind of quite nurturing. <laughs> to, he even doesn't even get into a row about, like, he mentions it to him, but he doesn't, like, uh, tear him a new one for, A, running off with the other girl, or B, um, you know, fucking around or, or not even acknowledging that 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 he had a relationship with the the second girl um i, I he's think basically I think he's vince he's vince vaughn to john favreau in swingers only with zero charisma and not funny yeah i, I don't see what's interesting about that what's what's fascinating about those characters is i don't even see what's original about that 
Yeah, I don't think so, the, soap opera? I don't think I mean the that events literally. are original, but I think the um, execution on that is is uh, definitely stuff I haven't seen before, and and um, I think as opposed to something that just takes a long time to quote unquote get somewhere, that movie to me just builds towards something in a really like beautiful way. Like when he tattoos that fucking beard on himself, I'm like, okay, here we here we go. Like it's it, it works for me pretty much a hundred percent. I will say, I will talk about this. You mentioned it when you were talking about it, Matt, is the photography and, and the look of the whole thing. Uh, for the most part, I, I actually did enjoy the, the, everything from a craft standpoint. I did like looking at this. It's so It feels like a little bit of a, a way to cover up you know, your budget limitations. But I, I thought it was a pretty interesting look. There were scenes that were jarring. Um, when they first buy that motorcycle... I, maybe I just hadn't noticed it before, but that scene in particular, there's a camera that's very dirty. I don't know yeah. if that meant something, but then they cut to another camera from another angle, same scene, and it's totally clean. And then they cut back, and it's back to that dirty cam again. Um, I don't really have an opinion, hate, or love either way. I just It was very noticeable, very jarring, and I wasn't sure what what the point was there because it was weird. Well, I think I, I noticed that as well, and I, I don't know if it's intentional or not. I what I think that is is they're using like a a lens adapter, a thirty-five millimeter lens adapter, and there's ground glass in the lens adapter that the image is kind of projected onto. And normally, you're supposed to turn on a, a like a little motor that vibrates that glass to get rid of that dirt. It's not actually dirt I don't think but it's just like the the grain and texture of that ground glass and they just didn't turn on the motor I don't know if that's like a aesthetic choice or what but I I've actually found that kind of interesting em- embracing that but other than that I wasn't a bit I wasn't a fan of the the cinematography in the film I think it just works to su- for me again it just works to support where they're going with the characters there is this uh, you know, it's. I, I'm not even sure I can necessarily put it into like really specific words, but I think there's this tangible sense for me of like a relationship between that highly, almost warped way of looking at things and what's happening to them. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a scene. I think it's fairly early on in the movie when they're actually two couples, um, and they spend like a day at the beach, um, and. It's shot very. Um, it's very tactile the way that, that it's shot. It's it, you. You feel the warmth or whatever, and the whole. The, it, it's this. The only really um, like where all collectively all four of them are are happy, and then you cut to the the end of the movie, and um, and I, I think the Aiden character says to uh, the, the the main character, um, you know, wh- why are we even here? Like, we don't even go to the beach anymore, and and whatever. And I think that kind of gets at the idea of they have this picture of moving from Wisconsin to to L.A. to do whatever, and they may hit it for a very brief period of time, but then it it, it kind of latches on to the we're not settling down here, we're gonna move on, and and I think that's a realistic. Like, that's what your 20s are for. I mean, that's you, you kind of go in and you experiment with with things and you fool around a bit and, and um, 
maybe learn some lessons and move on. And I, I really think that's kind of what the movie distills out. I mean, it does get at, and, and, and I guess the big debate with this movie is, is it a celebration of the boy kind of like, you know, making cool stuff and having these weird road warrior fantasies and we're going to kick ass and are we cool doing this? Cause the one character is always going, yeah, we're cool, right? We're cool. And, or is it a, just a satire of those things? And, and I think it's far more a satire than, than a, than a, um, than an earnest thing. I, I think the, the director, writer, director, star, whatever, um, picks at that. He's very critical of, you know, even, you know, maybe his own, um, you know, twenties or whatever. Uh, and and I think that's, I, I love the way the two characters are constantly second guessing themselves and they, and then they just fly off into a rage. Like the fights that they get into are, um, either, like him trying to prove to her like the knight in shining armor when her ass gets slapped by the truck driver or these just randomly impulsive party fights, which is real. I mean, I know tons of people um, that do shit like that. I, that. That's why there was a, with all of its posturing and over style and everything that there was an element of veracity to the core of this movie, which, which I bought into and that certainly endeared it to me. It's funny, reference or talking about Instagram with this movie because it does feel almost like um, uh, a, a film version of Instagram in that the the director is you know this amateur engineer and creating these uh, flamethrowers and cars and and all of these crazy gadgets and it's almost it feels like the film is simply an excuse to show that stuff off and everything surrounding that stuff is just um you know uh, at least for me didn't matter at all uh, i the whole project feels kind of narcissistic well see i completely disagree on that because i think it's these two characters that have these this <clears throat> fantasy vision of like a pure apocalypse, and when it does happen in the brain damage sequence, and you you, you know you literally have everything just melt down, um, they it's not like the, the the character he may look badass for a minute, but that it doesn't happen. Then he he goes off and he he looks at the box of Millie's shit um, and and deals with it in a in a much. Um, like he does not embrace the apocalypse. They 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 quietly drift off into the night. They don't they don't go out like humongous and and drive into the uh, tanker truck. I also think it's it's probably a bit um, uh, unfair to them to somehow say that. I mean, it's it seems it's a bit like you're saying they're kind of mercenary. Like, hey, we can build cool shit. Ah, oh, fuck, we have to make a story that goes with it. Oh well. Like, I actually don't think. That at least in terms of their intent, I don't think that's true at all. I think they care just as much about trying to tell this story. I think the fact that they can invent this stuff to help them tell it is just part of their process. I don't. I don't read it like a cynical like that. They're, you know, hey, we built cool cars. Let's uh, oh, we got to make a movie about it. And and I I would be fine with that. Like I. I kind of agree with you that maybe this is a story they wanted to tell, but the story is just, it's 
Boy Meets Girl, Girl Hurts Boy movie that we've seen a billion times. I, yeah, but it, well, then it goes. Yeah, back but not to, like this. It, yeah, it goes back to the old thing. It's not the story. It's how you go about it. If, <laughs> and if and anything, they're it's, very much you know, Andrew, going about it. <laughs> Andrew, if anything, it's a commentary on how Bonaldo stories normally are because it pushes out so much further. I, it it just makes it angrier and more aggressive. I agree with that, and but. That doesn't make me really care. No, it doesn't necessarily. It also makes it more simpering because I do believe that the ending is a quiet. Oh, we're not going to do that. We we're going to fantasize about that, but we're not actually going to do that. Yeah, so I honestly, I would have I would have hated that movie more than you if they hadn't pulled that back. Like they right really right. I I agree. I think they win on that level. By by self deprecate or like by again by yeah. almost satirizing. I, I, if, like, I agree completely. If this was just a me, worse and worse and worse, then yeah. Um, yeah. No, the worst device for me ever in a film is like, oh, you know what? Let's let's not go to town. It's crazy there. Like that thing where they you know they do a whole sequence and then go, oh, that didn't really happen. But in this case, I think they totally earn it. Like I I really uh, I think as you said, Kurt. Like I think it's exceptionally kind of like a hopeful. Pull. <laughs> I, I got nothing. I it's all right. It's not worth it to me. That's why. That's why I said in the beginning, like I don't even hate it because I don't feel like it's worthy of my hate. I just I won't. Well, I, I also like. I, I mean, it may be simplistic, but again, I've not seen it in very many films. But to use flames and devices to create fire as as a you know overarching um metaphor for unfocused rage i mean i i'm sure it's far from the first time it's been done but it is done in such a unusual and 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 quite pretty uh, way in the movie and i and i think that the people who did i'm sure they did their own or 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 whatever their their own poster artwork when you have the 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 um, the main character and Millie kissing in front of the car, in front of the big mushroom cloud of flame in the background. It 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 succinctly gives you the flavor of what the movie's going for. I, I like that a lot. I I dug all of the like ancillary stuff around this movie and and how it you know ties the room together, so to speak. All right. Anybody else? Any last words on the Bellflower? How how um, would you plan on ever watching it again, Jay? Now that we forced you through it a second time, you feel it's no. I I actually watched it on one point five speed to get through it faster. <laughs> did you watch it the first time all the way through, or did you stop like and go ah, and then and then come back to it, or did no, you I, just I watched it all the way through the first time. I I I really like the stuff with the car and. I love the the shot of the shooting the the propane tank. Yep. Um, but I, I guess it's similar to another Earth for me, where where those little um, peaks kind of uh, are more interesting than the what is supposed to be in the foreground of this film. And I, I just find the actual story again to be really middle of the road and. Wherever the film does show promise, it's not enough, and it's a disappointment whenever it gets away from that promise. 
and all the stuff with the uh, Lord Humongous and uh, the the Mad Max references. That stuff really annoys me. I mean, that that's to me is is the definition of pandering. Well, this, I, I it's strip away all of that those little things. You would have a story that is completely ordinary. Well, I don't. I I I would never use the word pandering because I'm. I I still don't know who this. What the obvious audience for this movie is. I. It seems to be stri- It seems to do a lot of things. It's sin- to it, upset it's, audience with expectation rather than pander to them. The the audience is cinephiles. Who else would it be? I mean, it's they're not making Bellflower for the multiplex. They're making Bellflower for people who go to strange movies and would probably get off on a, a reference to Mad Max. Yes, I don't know. I, I I would actually far more buy that they like the the that they just you know made it for themselves. Like I I, I mean I don't I have I don't really i wonder whether they they really sat around and go okay now who's gonna watch this movie now that we've made it <laughs> yeah but jay what do you like what are you saying that that you know so they made it for cinephile so i am a cinephile and i actually really dug the fact that it references this other thing and what i thought was at least for me a cl- very clever way um so is that somehow like that makes me like it seems directed at and not necessarily at me but the idea that you know cinephiles are somehow not that that's like a kind of a wankery and not really a, a good way to, uh, in, to, um, engage with movies. That, that, sorry, repeat that, that cinephiles, that being a cinephile or like, or like sort of trying to get into films in a, in a more referential way where you have a sort of big body of knowledge and that helps you to sort of color your opinion of stuff. That it's a kind that you're kind of wanking on it. Is that like what are you saying about that? I don't really. I'm saying that the reference is completely shallow. There's nothing behind the reference, other than it being a reference for a certain group of people to pick up on, and that's the worst kind of reference for me. It adds nothing to the film, in my opinion. It does seem logical, though, that guys that sit around and build muscle cars <laughs> would like the Road Warrior. <laughs> um, Sure. Plus, I think just on the level of uh, sort of the movie confronting a kind of apocalyptic uh, and, and for itself, I think there is thematic strength. Yeah. Well, what is an apocalypse and being the kick-ass leader during that apocalypse, but and I've been preparing it before it there's any sign of it happening, but just being almost, you know, an, a narcissistic doomer. I mean, that's I think that's relevant. I got nothing else. All right. Uh, I I just wanted to end on a on a on a weird, like little personal aside. Is that uh, that car that they build is a modified um, nineteen seventy two Buick Skylark, uh, which is the car that my four foot eleven inch mother used to drive us to school in when we were kids with the flames <laughs> so and everything. Had a very, no, with the flames. It was green with a white vinyl roof, but I do remember that that car had, uh, like, my my father did have air the air rams in the front, the air intakes in the hood put into it. It it um, that car passed everything but the gas station. It was uh, 
a powerful car that my mother used to truck us back and forth to school in. Which, and I, I remember the first time I watched Bellflower, I'm like, I kind of recognize the car. Like it's yellow when they first get it, and then they 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 soup it up. And and then when I was reading some piece about the movie and they they said the make and the model of the car i phoned up my dad and i'm like what was the car that and it was the exact same year exact same car it was kind of funny nice our final film that we're going to talk about is mr nobody um i think it's a very unknown film uh i don't know too many people that have even heard of it or saw it it didn't get any, as far as I know. It didn't get any sort of wide or any theatrical viewing. I saw it at it, TIFF in '09. It played one week in Canada, uh, and it played all over Europe. If you go to the IMDb and click external reviews, it's normally all the usual film blogger websites and whatnot. It's all Dutch, German, British, and French links in there. So it oh, was yeah. financed by French money with can- some French Canadian money. And I think it played predominantly, even though the film's in English, it predominantly played in Europe. But it did play for one week. It opened against Inception. Um, I remember that. Canada, E1 put it out. Um, yeah, it's for a $50 million film in English, it's kind of unusual that it um, it never got a, a release really of any kind domestically. Um, okay, so... Uh, an attempt at a synopsis is really difficult, but I will read the one that I wrote for Row 3 back in 2009. So here's what I wrote. The film starts in the future of 2092. The oldest man in the world, Nemo Nobody, Nobody, has captured the attention of the world as the last man that will ever die of old age since automatic cell regeneration has been achieved. Nemo sits in a hospital of sorts and recounts his life. Um, blah, blah, blah. The tale weaved starts before Nemo's birth as he tells the process a soul goes through before choosing its parents. The story then moves through adolescence and into manhood, but in a non-linear fashion. We see several versions of Nemo's life had he made one choice over another, and we move back and forth in time to get different perspectives of different events and indeed different and sometimes interesting life times. Um, not the easiest of plots. If you were to combine Vanilla Sky with Sliding Doors, you have a rough idea the style in which the narrative is told. Some elements uh, of other influences would be Slaughterhouse-Five, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 2001 A Space Odyssey, with a little bit of Amelie thrown in for good measures. So that's that's about the best synopsis uh, I could come up with for this movie. Um, and like I said, I saw it in the theater in 2009 in TIFF, and I was totally blown away i like i five stars i fucking love this movie i was trying to tell everybody about it um i watched it again maybe maybe two years ago um i can't remember how i got a hold of a copy but i got a hold of a copy a couple years ago and watched it and i still liked it i was a little less interested in it the second time um, but, you know, still enjoyable. And then I watched it again today, courtesy of uh, a Blu-ray from procured from Mr. Jay Cheel. Um, and I, I'm less and less interested in the movie as it goes along. And I'm almost more confused. Upon further rewatches, like all the different what's happening, I care less about. So I'm not paying as much attention anymore. Uh, I still love it visually and a couple of the performances are outstanding um but 
just overall, I'm not as enthralled and in love with it as I used to be. I still like it. I will defend it, and I would tell a lot of people to go check it out, but I'm not as in love with it as I once once was. Matthew. I do think that... So I did not see it at TIFF, uh, because, and I would have because you guys were certainly very convincing, um, but it just came too late in the schedule that year. So I think by the time you got to me, uh, it had already played out and I wasn't able to. So I, I rented it and saw it on Blu-ray about a year ago. And I think I feel around how you felt after the second viewing. Like, I think um, I think there's nothing like there's nothing wrong with it. It's really I think it's really accomplished. It's um, in a weird way. It kind of reminds me of like a David Bowie album. Like it's kind. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of um. Like it, there's a lot of style there. There's a lot of and not in a not in a vapid way, but there's like a lot of um, really confident uh, sort of telling of this really complicated story. Uh, but it, but it also to some extent the minute it's I finished watching it, it all kind of melted away from me. Like I have a really hard time just remembering specific. I remember kind of the overarching stuff, but I don't remember even specific scenes. Um, because I feel like the movie kind of just, it's got its, its weird repetitive nature and it kind of just ebbs away from you in a way. Uh, I, I think I was sitting with you um, uh, at that screening at TIFF. Um, so that was my first uh, viewing. Uh, then on its um, one-week theatrical release in Canada, I went to see it by myself and I was in the cinema by myself so the only person seeing it on a saturday night on opening weekend was the person who had already seen it (laughs) at a festival um i mean they didn't advertise it or anything whatever uh and uh and i've watched it probably two or three times on dvd and and just a couple days ago uh i watched it again and uh my interest or love in this movie doesn't ebb in in the slightest i I I love it. In a, in a way, um, it, it it diminished Cloud Atlas completely for me because I feel this movie. If you take out the racial element that Cloud Atlas has, um, it has a lot of the same editing and structural things going on. Um, it, it's just they're all with the same guy instead of with. Uh, like a tableau of of characters, but um, and and I I love it as an editing exercise. I I think it's fascinating that you have a story like oh, in, in a way kind of like a Donnie Darko kind of story uh, that has a tangent universe, except it's got many tangents, and then some of the stories that it's telling you are fiction that the character is writing inside some of those lives. So. Just as a marvel of a of a constructed, um, like a Chinese finger puzzle or the nested Russian dolls, I like it, and I and I happen to dig on the sort of layman, scientific American or, or popular science kind of idea of string theory and adapting that to life in the way that they do with the randomness and the the, the various things. I quite love, and the final ending the 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 concept of time at the end which i believe that this is the one really original idea that it integrates into the film uh i quite love the 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 point where the universe stops expanding and starts to contract and what does that actually mean um and and then linking it to how you make 
a final choice. Like you make a singular choice as opposed to this, oh, it's at the beginning of the day and you have all your choices in front of you and, and everything is rosy because you haven't committed to anything. Um, I love that as a movie. Um, I mean, I, know, I, I can see many of the flaws in the movie. I don't think all the performances are perfect. Um, and some of the things that it goes off, it's, it's a bloated movie, but I think it's a marvel that it exists and, uh, and it's a movie I come back to often. Um, the, this one out of the three was the toughest to revisit simply because it's so long. It's way too long. And I mean, the idea of watching these three movies again and uh, discussing them on this podcast actually feels like I, I'm enjoying doing this, but it feels a lot like a chore. And <laughs> and we thank you for choring. But I mean, I, it was partially my idea. I mean, I thought you know revisiting these films and you know really talking through them would be a lot of fun. And I'm not saying I'm not having fun, but it does feel like a chore because I just I really have no connection to these movies at all. And and to attempt to for a second time uh, work up any sort of passion either in the negative or positive realm is is really challenging <laughs> um so i mean it's my se- it was my second time seeing it watched a lot of it on 1.5 speed <laughs> again um, which is weird because a lot of the movie is sped up in and of itself yeah and i i normally would never do that but um, it was partially because of the time crunch getting the films in and because I'd seen them already. But um, yeah. And you the, gave this, me your DVD. So. Right, I gave you the, the Blu-ray, Blu-ray, so I was kind of stuck there. But um, the, the movie, one of the opening lines of the movie is, what did I do to deserve this? And uh, that's exactly how I felt getting back into <laughs> Mr. Nobody. It's just one of those, I'm not huge on puzzle films, like they they just I don't know they don't really do much for me I I'm not the the biggest Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind fan I'm not a big Fiber. Donnie Darko fan um so immediately I I'm not naturally engaged in Mr Nobody and what makes it even harder is the performances Jared Leto being a huge part of this movie and and the fact that he really at least for me he is not nemo nobody in this movie he's jared leto with a bunch of bad wigs like i i do not know this character at all i the concept dominates any story or character or the aesthetic dominates everything the the director's inability to decide you know with that being a a theme of the film that as long as you don't have to choose everything remains possible that seems to be the the mantra that this director went into this film with he he does everything and anything it's it's just such a desperate attempt to please or to impress aesthetically um and it, overall, it, it's just really, I feel it's really self-indulgent and, and undisciplined. And there are some good ideas in it, but they're completely washed away by the fact that the film's bloated and unfocused and gaudy and unoriginal in many ways. And it boils down its interesting ideas to these 
PowerPoint presentations that visually make me want to wretch. Like they, they remind me of uh, YouTube videos with the scrolling text that moves around and it just visually it's completely uninspired. And the fact that it's the, the, because of the concept, it's so repetitive having to replay mu- pieces of music and scenes over and over again makes it that much harder to remain engaged with the film if you're not immediately drawn to it. So that's a big challenge for someone like me uh, who doesn't like the film. And comparing it to you know, other big idea science fiction films, um, the best way I can kind of sum up Mr. Nobody is is Mr. Nobody Nobody is kind of like the self-indulgent Neil Peart 20-minute drum solo to Stanley Kubrick's 2001 and its perfect simple 4-4 rhythm. And I would much prefer the perfect simple 4-4 rhythm to this mess. Well, actually it's it's 3-3 because of the waltz, but you're uh, uh, fair <laughs> you're enough. Correct. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I think this feels like a cover album version of those better movies, right? Yeah. So he's just, you know, I like, I like those movies. I'm going to try to, but he, he just doesn't have the gravitas to kind of pull it up. So in a sense, it just like washes over you. And then, but I totally get, I gotta say, I totally get how in a film festival setting, this would be the shit. You can totally see how in a, like a hothouse environment where you're seeing a lot of films and you're kind of you're in this insular way. Like this is one of those movies that I think is designed for festivals to get people thinking it's better than it is. I definitely I don't know. I definitely think seeing it on the big screen helps a lot because there's a lot of big epic scenes. I I kind of disagree with Jay in that visually I think this movie's gorgeous. I I love the crisp the crispness of how everything looks and the color and the big ideas kind of pop out at the screen. I love all that stuff. Um, so even Blu-ray on a fairly large TV, it's not the same as it was. Seeing those big um, space stations blow up and asteroid collapses and a giant futuristic city, it really, it was really big and, and grand on the huge screen. And I, I think that definitely adds something to this movie. Whether it's in a festival or not, I don't know. I I feel like there were very few people in my screening, even at TIFF. Yeah, but there's... I I mean, I've certainly had this with films. I think you're in a certain headspace. I don't just... I mean, I think the big screen and the good sound, that is all part of it. But it's also this um, sense of being, uh, you know, like you're discovering things. And so you're kind of predisposed... If something starts to strike you the way the right way that you kind of, I mean, at least for me, you kind of get a little more excited. Like maybe I'm really finding something here, you right. know? Yeah, absolutely. Especially you know, in in something like TIFF, you're like you said, exploring. A lot of them are little sort of stuffy foreign, like little quiet dramas or documentaries or stuff. There aren't many big. Like sci-fi films that you do feel like you're in discovery mode. Anything you discover is usually some weird little quirky thing or 
Um, something that's going to be a huge hit wide release anyway. There's never anything in a festival. I shouldn't say never, but in generally, yeah. at least in my experience, there's never anything really big and grand like this that hits you in the face quite well, the way I, Mr. Nobody would in a festival. I'm sure it's exactly the reason, or, or certainly a big part of the reason why I have that that uh, very favorable reaction to Bellflower. I I saw it in a festival when I had no expectations and we were first, right? Like, I think it had played one other place. Yep. 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 Fair enough. Um, For me, I, I, I have this, I don't know, it's not an obsession, but I do have this, I take pleasure in these sort of greatest hits type movies that draw from a lot of other movie resources. I mean, you could say draw, you could say steal, uh, you could say a lot of things. That it does come down to how it's used, right? I mean, a lot of people accuse Quentin Tarantino of just flat out stealing. I like what he does with this. And I, and I I hold this movie with the with the um universe and time thing at the end that it does something new. Um even if a lot of the language and disparate parts are assembled out of other things. Um, but I, but I also look at it in, in in exactly the same way that I looked at uh, both of Richard Kelly's movies. I, ironically, was I think it was the last, um, the second last one of these that we did was was on Southland Tales, and I have I, I tend to like these. Let's just um, like grab at a bunch of different things, and maybe someone will watch this movie and say, "Oh, I I I want to pursue." string theory you know it's the starship troopers thing like would you like to know more um and and these movies that put it up in a big um sort of colorful package um they're very endearing to me and and i found this this is like a big bowl of candy for me when i when i watch it and i just like to stuff all of it in my face and i must admit i I don't watch it often but every time i come back it's like oh yeah i like this type of candy and and i I, I eat it up now, and and I still am trying to rationalize in my brain why when I saw Cloud Atlas, and that's why this was part of the original pairing with this. When I saw Cloud Atlas, why that movie did not endear to me in any way because it should be the same um, sort of um, you know catnip that that just makes me Kurt, giddy when I watch. Kurt, if it helps, I think it's because we all think you're wrong. Uh, that 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 I, I must admit I like a cause, but uh, I, I mean there's nothing stopping me from liking, uh, you know, a Toy Story three, which everyone else likes too. So it's not it's not completely driven by a um, by a desire to just be I that guy. Just, I just I don't know why you didn't connect to Cloud Atlas, as you I, say. It seems like it's right up your alley. I know, I know. Um, well, with this I, one, I mean, you know, Jay was talking about how it's kind of a mess and just way too many ideas and i can i can buy that argument i you know i can see why somebody would just be lost and not feel like it's cohesive at all but i don't know i think one of the things that i do like about it is i'm watching this and and marveling at the like it it should be way more of a mess than it is like it it, it should be absolutely making no sense you should be completely lost whereas i think the way the editing is done and all the transitions and sure it's sort of i don't know about ambiguous and but it is if you're not really paying attention even if you are really paying attention it might lose you but i still feel like even if you're lost 
you have there's a sense of flow to everything i think it, it just moves really well when you're moving from one nemo to the other even if you don't understand why at least it's sort of it feels graceful to me well and here's the weird thing. If you watch all the way to the end credits, uh, there's actually a segment in the credits where the director thanks all the people and stories that he cut out. Um, like, so this, in my mind, after I watched Mr. Nobody, I, I felt that they must have storyboarded the living shit out of this movie and had it all worked out. But, um, Judging from that segment of the credits and all the names that they list that were cut out and a couple characters um, you can kind of get glimpses of inside of the film that like the homeless lady in the train station um, that were other stories that are now no longer in the main story that this movie was still found in the editing room. And and like you said, it does have flow, Um, but I, I, I do think that they probably spent a lot of time. Trying to figure out, oh, oh, what do we, what have we done? What do we have here? Which is partly kind of what I marvel about it. Like I like the fact that after you get all this stuff shot, you got to assemble it somehow. And I don't know. I think a lot of people would just throw up their hands and say, "This is not doable. We can't, we can't do this." Um, and I don't know. I think they they pieced it together really well. Well, for I, fifty million euros, you find a way. <laughs> I think a film like this is far more forgiving in terms of assembling and editing it because the concept allows for a lot of legroom in I terms suppose. of yeah, I suppose. You know, following it like it's flashy. That's exactly what it is. Like it seems like something that would take a lot of work to edit, but I would argue that uh a film like Amore is probably a much harder film to edit and and sustain interest in like this you just you play buddy holly's every day every time you have a scene that you want to remind the audience about and connect it i mean it's not that hard and anything else that slips you by you just kind of allow to be that mysterious element that people will eventually people like kurt will eventually figure out or apply something to but that that's the beauty of that what you just said is that's kind of one of the key themes in the movie (laughs) is is the idea that um the object ends up what it is because of that series of choices and that's what it is you, you yeah, just... but I think, um, Jay, I think you're right. Like, I think there's any number of alternate cuts of that film that would play almost exactly the same. Yeah. You know, there's there's any number of ways to reorder those scenes. And I and I think you wind up with pretty much the same movie. Maybe they uh, should have released all the footage like Bruce McDonald's uh, Tracy fragments and allowed everyone yeah. with all the elements to cut their own films. Well, no, but like if you if you con- if you contrast that with something like even like something like Synecdoche, New York, right? There's no alternate way to put those scenes together, and they're equally sort of fragmented. Well, I- I'm certainly not going to argue uh, with you that um, Synecdoche, New York, is not a ten times better film than this because it most certainly is. Um, but uh, I-, I I don't think that necessarily diminishes the film that they have here, even if there was a bunch of different ways to put it together, that doesn't necessarily diminish the film. I think it only diminishes it for me because I was sort of a a little bit aware of that while I was watching it. And I think it lends itself to 
again, just for me, a kind of forgettable quality to it, right? Where it just, it's not, doesn't last in your mind. I also would argue that, I mean, the comparison to um, Southland Tales is kind of a, seems like an obvious one, but to me, Southland Tales is not going out of its way at all to please the audience. To, I think Mr. Nobody is going far out of its way to make maybe things. the right connection is the box then <laughs> yeah maybe that's probably a little better <laughs> on the richard uh, kelly I, I think i think saying that southland tales does not please its audience may be the understatement of the year but, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean the thing with this film is is it attempts to do so much and it it i really get a sense that i think it takes itself way too seriously not in tone like it's its tone is kind of all over the place but in its craft and and what it feels like it's bringing to the table there are so many shots in this that are just direct lifts from other movies that are are similar in nature um and i've talked about this before and it seems like kind of a shallow criticism or observation but i do think that it is important because it's a film that exists within the same conversation as these other ones. And it's just pulling directly like the, there's the shot of the fast motion as the cameras, uh, uh, tracking along the room. That is basically a direct lift from Requiem for a dream. And the shot, of the, the water drop falling from the sky, which immediately brings the frog to mind from Magnolia. Um, and even the way that they, assemble these micro stories of you know this piece of eggshell ended up in this uh, waffle which created this this and this which feels like the first five minutes of magnolia extended um beyond an appropriate length the, the that five minutes in magnolia works because it's five minutes or however long it is and doesn't run through the entire film and that stuff for me stands out immediately like i'm getting um, a movie that feels completely unoriginal. I, I, I aesthetically and thematically can go to a number of movies immediately and and say this did it better, that did it better, that did it better, and this movie's two and a half hours long. That- <laughs> That was that. That's exactly. It's funny. I keep gonna keep coming back to this, but that is my. That's practically my review of Cloud Atlas, which I find hilarious. And I and I, you're right. I mean. I, I, if there's a, if there's one filmmaker set of filmmakers that that I believe that uh, the the Jaco van Dormael the, the the director here is 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 riffing on is is the Wachowskis like he 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 does a lot of things that the Wachowskis does outside of the fascination with the with the sort of comic book um, kind of things and I find it's fascinating that this movie anticipates by roughly two years maybe two and a half years uh cloud atlas it just it's just a weird one of these weird little things but i i mean even the music choices some of them feel like you know uh a, a more um disciplined filmmaker might resist the urge to, to put- use that where is the melanie or the polynesian choral music from the thin red line and uh yeah. which is in the uh, it's my mind which is you know from fight club yeah the you, pixie song but clearly owned by fight club and fight club well jared leto is often cast by david fincher <laughs> fight club. I mean, 
and Fight Club, I think, kind of exists within the same conversation, can kind of exist in the same conversation. And the fact that the filmmaker doesn't resist that urge and decides to go with that song anyways, it feels, again, like a shallow criticism, but it says a lot, I think, about the filmmaker that there's a desperation to please or a desperation to... Uh, uh, not a desperation, but it's, he wants to emulate these other films that are inspiring him almost too directly. And there are filmmakers that can pull that off. Uh, and I do realize that when you dislike a film, you're more willing to nitpick that stuff. Like the, the Lord Humongous thing. I mean, it's, I, it's not that big of a problem, but because I don't like Bellflower, that stands out as something that annoys me. But, you know, Tarantino can reference whatever films he references, and I'm fine with it because everything else is awesome. And with Mr. Nobody, everything else is certainly not awesome. And so all of this stuff really stands to me as as being kind of hackneyed. It's it's really if you you know, it's like a stand up comedian stealing someone else's jokes and in this particular case really feels like it's a hack move. Well, um well it, it, it's a hack move because he's wholeheartedly taking from everywhere or because he just likes fight club well he's wholeheartedly taking from ev- everywhere within the realm the space that he's working in i mean it's not even like he's taking from a movie that's completely like you know he's making mr nobody and he steals something from ishtar <laughs> like it, it they're movies that are very similar to the film that he's making and for a movie that that is so packed with ideas and different aesthetics and tones and whatnot, it starts to feel like I'm going to grab everything and throw it at the wall and see what sticks. And a big, a majority of that stuff that I'm throwing at the wall, I took from other films, but I'm just repackaging it in, in this film. And I don't know if he's hoping no one notices or, or what, or maybe I'm overstating this as some sort of uh, crime cinema or something, but it just feels to me like it... Well, I mean, I I certainly do not have issues with Brian De Palma wholeheartedly stealing from Hitchcock and playing in the same space as Hitchcock. I I don't have a huge problem. Yeah, okay, there's a lot of Fincher stuff in here. There's Wachowski stuff. There's there's, uh, Richard Kelly stuff, whatever. Uh, I I, I don't see that as a a big problem um I, I i don't yeah okay the movie's somewhat pandering in that sense and i don't think it makes any bones about that i mean it, it i don't know if this is a fair statement to let him off the hook of this or not but i mean he doesn't work he's not working in the hollywood system it's it's a european film that he's making um and uh so he's doing his own thing you know I don't think he's a hack. I think that's, I mean, I think, I think it's more like the Peter principle at work. Like he just feels like somebody that rose to the, you know, slightly above his level of competence. So his ideas are okay. They're just not, there's not enough of them. He reminds me of people I knew in high school that wanted to talk about, you know, like make these theoretical arguments about physics and stuff. They don't really know what they're talking about. Right. They're just using the analogies. They're just, yeah, they're kind of out of their depth. And he just, I think, Again, it's like he's it's sort of his he's coming from the right place, but he's just not quite in his element there, right? 
Whereas, uh, while I don't put this as the most original piece of science fiction ever made, I, I draw... Like, those things don't... They're not a deal-breaker for me. I draw so much pleasure from... Uh, the construction of this object, the, the the fact that the object reminds me a lot of other objects is not a, it, it's just not a, it's not a, it's not a deal breaker, I guess. Well, I, I would say, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, I listened to the Cinecast. It, it almost seems for you a lot of times it's a deal sealer. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I go on and on about certain movies that pander in certain ways, and but I, I, I must admit, I, I have my pander points as well. <laughs> if a film references Kubrick or, you know, any of these hot spots that, for you, I, I, I think... I, I sit up and take notice. Yeah, but, um, I mean, it's... It's not the only issue with Mr. Nobody for me. Like, I would probably be able to look past that as well if everything else was working for me. But it just, I, I think that the concept just dominates everything else and the, the characters and the story and, and everything that I, I just cannot get on board with the film from that perspective. And I don't think it has to be as long as it is or as overly complicated as it is it just it's trying way too hard to be clever and to please and it i see that written all over the film and there's a certain type of film though when you start going down that road you you cross yeah you, you cross out of okay this is way too complicated but then you go so much further and then it becomes pleasurable because it just it's gone. It's just gotten so complicated and so whatever. And there's so many pieces that it it becomes fun because it's it's pushed so far beyond the line of of what's reasonable that it that that itself becomes a source of pleasure. I, I mean, that's the same way I enjoy Southland Tales. Probably get on board with that if it wasn't so repetitive. I mean. Yeah, if it wasn't yeah, 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 so desperate to borrow from other sources. Treading its own tracks over and over again. I mean, Synecdoche, New York is better and better every time I watch it. And it's a complicated film, but it's got a, a great story behind it. It's got characters that you actually uh, care about and can empathize with. And its complications are are interesting, both visually and thematically. And this movie is just complicated. Things for the sake of complicating things because it's it's in line with its its mandate like it's it's about this uh sort of dream within a dream within a dream kind of thing so it has to it has to complicate things well no i would argue that mr nobody does address the idea of what we consider to be important things that that uh or important choices that you made are as much connected to uh, chemistry and the way the body is built up or random forces, you know, just random pockets of entropy or whatever, as it is as this sort of um, self-centered personal narrative. Uh, And I I like the way... In fact, all three of these films all address that. Um, And I... I like the way that that is addressed. I mean, people tend to think that, well, if I didn't do this, then this would happen. And I, and I think that this movie goes really far to say that, um, 
stop worrying about it so much. There are so many elements beyond your control um, that, uh, you know, make your choices and be comfortable with them instead of doing the John Cusack and high fidelity thing and saying, well, I, I refuse to, 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 to commit to anything because um, I don't want to get hurt or whatever. Well, take the two and a half hour runtime of Mr. Nobody and that concept and boil it down to the, what, 15 seconds in the Hudsucker proxy when Paul Newman is hanging out of a window and thinks back about when he got his pants hemmed and the, uh, he passed on the super strength stitching and the, uh, and sewed it in for him anyways because he's, Mr. Hudsucker is such a nice guy. No, but that's irony. That this is different. That's just irony. Um, this is far more. Uh, this is just far more a uh, of how you address your own personal narrative. I, I think they're different things. I think. Yeah, I think this is more like the problem of you know the the that really what he's sort of elaborating on is this problem of like. Are you sort of trapped by your choices? For instance, you know, maybe you make a movie and you have to star Jared Leto in it. And there's just, you have no control over that. It's very meta. Okay. And you. You, you only have so many wigs you can throw on them. <laughs> you really, uh, yeah. yeah, boy, once you get to that last wig, the movie's over. Well, but you've always got the old man voice. I know Jay has, it's his favorite thing to do the old man Jared Leto voice. As soon as the movie opens with that, it's, it, it's all over. It it truly is. What did I do to deserve this? And I do not mistake that for all movies, old man makeup or people acting old are terrible. This particular one is terrible. Young Guns too. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> um. Well, I wish I I wish I had the passion for this movie that I did four years ago, but. Watching it this time, I think one of the things that I'm still really keen on and, and what I really latch on to is just, even if I'm not as interested in what it is or isn't trying to say or structurally what it's doing, but there's a charm about it. There's a warmth to it. You know, when you mention Mr. Sandman or Buddy Holly's Every Day, these classic songs that just come in really crisp, really clear. I love, I already said visually, I, I just like how warmth it is. Um, but I, I also just like the story of the two young teenagers in love. I, I felt that was a really genuine relationship right there. And you mean the Juno, Juno Temple, Temple and the right. other kid. Um, Which admittedly probably gets the most screen time. Yeah, and I really just latch on to them. I like any scenes that they're in. I like anything with Sarah Polly. I love her character um, or, you know in terms of watching, I, I enjoy watching that performance. Um, Leto, I think he's fine, but there's these other people where, like you said, Kurt, Juno temples, that story probably gets the most screen time. You get to see her a lot. And I, and I like Diane Kruger too. I mean, she's not amazing or anything in this movie. I don't think anybody's really amazing, but the whole movie just has this warmth and charm to it that I, pretty much immediately latch on to like even just the futuristic world it's cold and white and you don't really like anybody but there's something about it that just feels friendly um the, as the a, guy as from a, all the mike lee film films the the doctor um with the rorschach tattoos 
that's not if you're thinking David Thewlis, it's totally no, no, it's not, not David Thewlis. It's it the guy like who he played Sullivan in in Topsy Turvy. He, he's in a lot of Mike Lee films. It's not oh. David Thewlis, but he's still in a lot of Mike Lee films. I don't know. <laughs> Can't Just remember his name. All something about all that stuff. It's very fair, fairy tale, and I and I appreciate the fairy taleness of this movie. Um, I like watching Resi fans do his thing. Um, and just the weird, like, homey 1970s, early 80s. Again, kind of a Jean-Pierre Jeunet aesthetic to the whole thing. Like, it's all, even when it's cold and sad and dark and people are dying, there's something charming about all of it. (laughs) Should there be? I don't know. I think that was his intent. It seems like it is, anyway. Like, even when they're, you know, the kids are being forced to be broken up, the way the camera will transition from under the sheets to all of a sudden, like, the pavement of the street and the camera comes up. Again, not that that's anything new. I mean, fucking, what's the one where the immortals cut off each other? The Highlander. Yeah, I mean, I the Highlander that. Russell Mulcahy did that, but, yeah. But, so what? And, like, all these borrowings from other movies, I'm not going to... I I totally agree with Jay. You can see all of the influences here. And I'm happy with those influences. I love the fact that the Mars bit makes me reminds me of Danny Boyle's Sunshine. I love the fact that like a broken pot or something reminds me of Amelie. I revel in the raindrop falling down that kind of reminds me of Forrest Gump. Um, or the train tracks going over something. Like, there's stuff here that I would equate to um, Oliver Stone's visual um, aesthetic in some ways and some of his crazy editing like when you mash all that stuff together you can say it's a mess if you want but I just like seeing all those influences coming together in one big splotch and, and, and I want to and I, I certainly I, I like that that synecdoche was brought up I, I'm certainly not equating um, the fact that I enjoy and and like a lot of the ideas of Mister Nobody to say that it's a, it's a great film that no one sees properly. That's not the narrative that I'm putting forth. But I am saying that I do get a lot of pleasure and I do come back to this movie. So um, uh, I think that there's uh, there's an audience for this movie that never found it. Uh, it but is it uh, necessarily? Um, a wide audience or is this necessary this movie belong in the upper tiers of of um sci-fi or philosophy or whatever sort of filmmaking not necessarily but it 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 seemed that um you know there was i was surprised at some of the 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 hate and vitriol that was leveled or the or the like andrew said at the beginning the fact that this movie was just utterly ignored um I, I was I was kind of surprised uh, by that when it when Me it too. came out back in. I I don't expect everybody to love it either. Like I I'm not fighting for it, but at the same time, yeah, I I'm baffled by nobody's here to like. There's not even any sort of cult following behind it, and it seems like it's absolutely the type of movie that a certain fairly large crowd I think would get and, into. And I'll say I, this: it's miles ahead of uh, Kurt Vimmer's Equilibrium. Well, well, yeah. In regards yeah. to the cult. Well, no, but that's a movie that had a huge cult following wrap around it by the simple fact that it was an unreleased film and people thought like, you know, they 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 adopted right. it like yeah. a discovery and it's it's a I mean, it's a messy ugly film, right? I kind of just based on the sort of lightweight 
or lighter weight uh, uh, treatment of the ideas and stuff. I, it's you know, I, we've all sort of agreed that something like Synecdoche is far superior. But I, I mean, I think the the other movie that I chuck into this category is I Heart Huckabees. Like well, I love High Heart Huckabees. We've actually talked about that on this okay. podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. I missed that one. But but I again, I think both those movies are just they're limited. Like, there's... well, they're gateway films. They're, they're they're exactly that. They're they're a movie that just throws a lot of ideas out that again a casual person could come in and and maybe like a certain aspect of the movie. They're like uh like Cliff Notes kind of no Cliff Notes Reader's Digest. I don't know what the right <laughs> book analogy i think readers digest you're on the right track yeah, yeah right okay they're surveys of these things instead yes. of being genuine you know and, and if that stuff. opens you up i mean you could argue in uh, quentin tarantino's a far better filmmaker but you could argue that quentin tarantino's films exist like that in their own way in that they will lead people to other things um by virtue of watching them um the the yeah I think in regards to why Mr. Nobody hasn't been seen or isn't a, uh, considered a cult classic is I, I feel that it plays like an attempt at constructing a cult classic. You look at something like Donnie Darko, which kind of blew up and you know was purchased by college film students or just college students in general around the country and blew up into this cult thing. When you come out with a, with a movie with a character named Nemo Nobody. It it just feels so constructed and an attempt at uh, capitalizing on some prior success or some prior idea of what makes a cult classic. And I'm not saying that... You mean it's trying to recreate that particular lightning in a bottle? Yes. And I, I don't think it's hiding it well. And it's not nearly as good a device as calling your main character hero protagonist, so... Yes, I, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Snow Crash, and I hope that someone <laughs> out there will eventually make that into the film instead of just sticking it in the corner of something like Pool <laughs> as a cute reference. <laughs> okay, um, is there anything else anybody wants to say about it? No. Nope. I, I even have some trouble following the characters because this idea that almost like every outcome is possible or every path is the right path seems to just undercut the drama in the film for me. Well, again, I would never say that Mr. Nobody is aiming to be a conventional drama. It's it's far more of a sit back and look at it structure film than a let's get deep down into the heart. The, The characters are all designed to be types I, I i don't i would never hold this movie to the standard of 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 hitting like these really hard human truths in its scenes i i think of it far more as a structural movie than, I mean, than a but it, but it attempts to exploit that that drama i mean the, the stuff with the uh drunken version of the father and bathing yeah. him in shower but, and but now I want now I I in my Earth Two version uh, of of watching these movies, Cloud Atlas came out before Mister Nobody, and I adored Cloud Atlas and hate Mister Nobody. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Let me ask this: um, Not that I want it recounted for me, but is there anybody at this table who 
Mr. Nobody um, from a like a plot or in any sort of way makes perfect sense from start to finish? Like, do you get every single moment throughout the movie? Is there anybody here that can say that? I can't. No, I didn't no. think so. Like, there's part, points where you're just it's uh, it's almost like it's in here as Jay would say, probably like wankery, like poetic wankery, visual. I'm just throwing in here to to make it look like I'm saying something, even if yeah, I'm this, not. It just looks this, cool. This is uh, all references to Europe aside. This thing ain't a Swiss watch, man. There's some there's some extra pieces in the box. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and that's evident in the final credits when when they're like, oh yeah, here's all yeah, the parts yeah, we didn't put blocks, in. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's again back to my issue is if that's the case, then. I would at least expect the aesthetics and the treatment of the the overall concept to be handled with more originality. Like if I'm not going to get an actual story that makes sense or if I'm not supposed to get invested in the characters because the concept is is key, then I want that concept to be mind-blowing and it's not. Well, I, 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 I do come back to the idea of, um, uh, you know, human beings and, and human choices and human lives being, you know, uh, using entropy as a metaphor for that. And then having the film culminate where you where where when he does finally lock everything down or whatever in his own mind and he finds the, the cosmic right girl in his, you know, collection of possibilities um, as he sees it, that time stops and and starts to go backwards. I, I like that. I, I I like the ending of the movie, and I don't believe I've seen that in any other film um, done anywhere near like that. So with all of his ripping off and whatever, I I I, I like the ending, and I think that the ending is its one little its one contribution, and I think it's a it's a good contribution. All right, I think that we'll just kind of wrap up this discussion then. Um, since the four, the people who participate in each episode of the movie club sort of decide on the next films that we'll be watching for the next episode, and did we or did we not decide that we're going to be watching David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch and also uh, Winterbottom's Tristram Shandy, A Cock and Bull Story? Is that what we're going with? I would Trendy be... was my suggestion. You guys are free to leave it if you don't want it. But I, I, I love talking Tristram Shandy. Um, I, I'm totally happy with grouping them. My, my grouping was a bit more on the nose, and I like the Linkletter film as well, uh, Scanner Darkly. But no, I, I, I think there's lots of fun things to chew on in, in, in Tristram Shandy, and I am totally looking forward to um, revisiting The Naked Lunch, which I have not seen in 10 years at least, so... And for the record, I have nominated Naked Lunch for the last 15 episodes, so I'm happy that we'll, I'll finally get to buckle down and watch it. Um, what else do I need to say? Um, well, thank you very much, Matt Price. This is the first one that you've done. Um, I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you come I back. I had a great time. <laughs> um, Hopefully I didn't uh, uh, overstay my welcome. I had a great time. Yeah, it was good. Good having you. Um, we'll have to bring on the other half of Mamo at some point. No, no, no. He can't. Uh, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I want to thank Jay too for coming in. Like it's it's tough coming in and doing this kind of format when 
when you don't the like world. all of them, and there's more than one or more than two, which is the usual uh, format. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think and, that. And I have to say, Jay, you, you ripped on a movie that I really, really liked, and uh, I, I don't dislike you afterwards. It's really, it's, it's a pleasure. Well, I, I think the one that you really, really liked is the one that's hardest for me to rip on because my dislike, the, my reason for disliking it is probably not, it's not easy to explain. It's just like more of a purely subjective kind of thing. So I found it like I have notes for Another Earth and Mr. Nobody, but Bellflower, I have like four notes and they're all really shallow observations. So. <laughs> It's a tough one to uh, to really explain. It's just like you either like the taste of olives or you don't, I guess. Well, olives olives are for adults, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we'll be back in a month or a month and a half or two months. Or six or months. We, we, months. We just yeah. don't know. Um, and we'll talk about Naked Lunch and... and uh, Tristram Shandy. So we go around the table one more time, just to let everybody know. First of all, uh, this episode could be found at movieclubpodcast.blogspot.com. We lost our official domain, but whatever. So, um, and I'm again. My name is Andrew James, and I'm from row3.com. And I'm Matthew Price, and I'm half of Mamo. You can find all Mamo-related stuff at mamo.ca. The podcast itself is hosted very kindly uh, by Row Three, so. You can find the Mammo podcast proper at row3.com. And Twitter handle? Oh, and my Twitter handle is mattmovies. M-A-T-T-M-O-V-I-E-S. Um, and, uh, yeah, again, I'm Kurt. Uh, you can find me all over the place, um, but mostly at row3. But uh, God knows I, I pop up in a lot of different places. And my uh, Twitter is at triflick. Uh, and I'm Jay. Uh, you can find me at the Film Junk Podcast at filmjunk.com and uh, the documentaryblog.com. Rarely. Very good. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Um, as I said, the, the URL is movieclubpodcast.blogspot.com. Go over there and leave your thoughts in the comment section. We'll be stopping in there from time to time. So if you have any anything you want to say about any of these movies, we'd love to hear it. So thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Life will be black. We'll be okay. As love sends us floating away. I sit alone and be home. As life takes its toll and I thought I'd never grow I sit alone and be home as life takes its toll and I thought I'd never ever